everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of Weaving Myths Season 3. Weaving Myths is a podcast focused on tabletop role-playing games and specifically playing them through the play-by-post format. I'm your host, Nathan, and joining me today is Ruben. How's it? Colin. Afternoon, folks. And Eric. Good evening. We are all moderators or administrators on Mythweavers, one of the largest play-by-post gaming websites in existence, and we're here to help you bring your game to the next level. If you're not familiar with Mythweavers, you can find it at myth-weavers.com. As always, we are joined by the impeccable text chat, which members of Mythweavers are using right now to ask questions and contribute to the discussion. If you too would like to be part of the text chat, feel free to join us on the Mythweavers Twitch channel every other Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, except on the 29th, I'm getting married, so we're not doing a show then unless we get Ruben and Eric set up to do that. So we'll try, but Colin and I will definitely not be present. Yeah, I'm well, going maybe. to the wedding. Eric was too good for us to come. <laughs> Family obligations. I am so sorry, but no, I wish hey. you all the best. Seriously. I hope you enjoy our gift. It's and not I a big deal. Live too far away. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would have loved to have you there, but I totally understand. So no problem. Well, that Nate, look for a package in the mail. Okay, I will do so. <laughs> it's going to be dripping grease and have lots of hand stamp postage on it. Yum. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) All right. Uh, This week, we're going to be taking a deep dive look at one of the most popular role playing games of all time Dungeons and Dragons. Before we jump into it, I do just want to let everybody know that I'm feeling pretty under the weather today. So I'm just going to kind of take a backseat and let Ruben, Eric, and Colin run the show. I'll jump in when there's scripts to be done, but otherwise, I'm just kind of here to look pretty today. So, Ruben, if you'd like to take it away. All right. Dungeons and Dragons, the granddaddy of the RPG kind of world. First published in 1974, invented as we all know by Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax. It's the game you use to explain what you do to all your other relatives who don't quite understand. Oh, I like role-playing games. What? You know, like Dungeons and Dragons. It's that ubiquitous. It's definitely the most popular game around, and there are tons and tons of players it's also probably the one RPG you're going to see if it ever shows up in a television series. Usually it's a sign of these guys are major geeks. And <laughs> doggy. How many uh, editions are we on now? What, six, seven? Six, eight? seven, something like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, officially we're only in fifth edition, but if you count like advanced to basic and then 3.5, right. that's at least seven. Uh, all the sub-options and 3.0 versus 3.5. Skills and powers. Yeah, it's it's gone through many iterations. And speaking right. of iterations, iterations often bring up addition warning, which we are not going to do here. I'm not going to accept either here or in the chats. D&D contains multitudes, and everybody can find an edition they like, and there's no reason to just go to war because somebody likes a different edition. We're all cool here. We're all gamers. That's kind of actually one of its strengths. No matter what you kind of like or what you're into, you find an addition that kind of helps you do it. And we'll get into that later here. Well, by we, I mean everyone except Colin, who seems to have vamanosed. I'm here. I'm here, I swear. Beer (laughs) arrived. Oh, the beer. Well, very important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the real meat and potatoes of the uh, actual system, I figured a brief history would probably go over well. We're not going to go really in-depth because there's tons of other media out there that does a very good job of 
going over things. It's been around longer than the four of us. Yep. If you're interested, there's a really good series by Geek and Sundry that goes over kind of a lot of D&D. And there's also a great series of books called Designers and Dragons by... uh, (laughs) Designers and Dragons by Evil Hat, published by Evil Hat. And someone will post the uh, link over there in the Twitch chat to the Geek and Sundry series. Correct. I have. So... Eric, I think it's only appropriate you start us out with the very first edition. Back in the day. <laughs> Many moons ago. In a land before role-playing. So Dungeons & Dragons was created by Gary Gaius and Dave Arneson, really kind of the founders of our hobby, when they took what was a tactical war game system, where you took whole armies and maneuvered your platoons around terrain and tried to defeat your opponent into something that was a single champion type game where each person took on the persona of one individual rather than a whole host of their army. It kind of evolved out through chainmail, and then after the basic rules that were created, it was quickly followed by Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and the original edition Dungeons and Dragons in 1977. Now we're to the point where I was actually alive for this. So the basic line of Dungeons & Dragons went through several revisions, commonly referred to by their box color, Exhibit A being the red box, and then there were blue, tan, and uh, so on and so forth in publication order. The game started to get bigger, and more and more options were released, and the second edition was published in the late 1980s, and that would become kind of the central point around which the hobby would run pretty much up until 2000. You can kind of argue that publication was flagging in the late 90s, but yeah, pretty much. definitely was. For 20 years, the the Red Box and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition ruled the roost. So then, in 2000, kind of starting in 99, there were rumors, they dropped 3rd Edition. 3rd Edition was a major overhaul of the rules. It brought a lot of new people into the uh, hobby, And the bigger thing it did is it released the system reference documents. It suddenly opened up. Ah, yes. Wow, that's a lot shinier than mine. Uh, It suddenly opened up. First edition printing, too. Ooh, wow. It suddenly opened up a bunch of new options because third party publishers could start printing official supplements that used their actual D&D rules. And the game just exploded. And you started getting a lot of really cool stuff. And Wizards of the Coast, who had bought in the game from TSR at this point, started releasing tons of official supplements. But then you had a lot of third-party publishers who released everything from Deadlands D20, which was terrible, a World of Warcraft version, Kingdoms of Calamar, all sorts of stuff. And so you had a lot of new players, and these players had a plethora of options. Which is not to say that second edition didn't have its own huge line of supplements. But it was uh, all just from various, TSR. Yeah, various uh, players' handbooks and then the arms and equipment guide. Book of Humanoids, one of my personal oh, yes. favorites. Uh, all of the different racial supplements. There were plenty of uh, brown-covered books that you could reference if you wanted to uh, expand your horizons in Dungeons & Dragons. The but, third edition really brought it all together by releasing the system reference document, the D20 rules engine that allowed that kind of expansion of the game beyond just the core publisher. And furthermore, it also released the system reference document website. Actually, no, that came more with 3.5, didn't it? 
No, that was around for third edition. It was, Not, it was there. It wasn't as well laid out. As well, that was still when the internet was kind of really becoming a thing. By Back when th- things like the Space Jam website were hip. Oh, and man. I need um, link that oh. archive page at some point. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> the SRD was around for third, as our Sphere says. They were all RTF files. Oh, God, RTF files. Yep. Rich text files. yep. So by about 2003, the cracks in third edition were starting to show. There were several problems. Bards kind of sucked. There were other little problems. Some of the skills were maybe not great. Everybody remember the scrying skill? Ooh. Yeah, every wizard had strikes and scrying. So they released kind of the hotly contested 3.5 edition, which patched a lot of holes. It was basically still third edition, just with kind of an update. Some of the fans really thought it was a cash grab. Others, kind of like me, thought it was more of a needed revision. They still kept the SRD, and the supplements still kept coming. Oh, God, that's yeah, right. Many supplements. Yeah, I, I can I can barely contain my collection up there on a couple of shelves. It's uh, it was a lot of supplements. <laughs> oh yeah, before I sold them all, my shelves were groaning under the weight of all the three five stuff. That shelf behind me used to be about a third. Used to be about a third three point five stuff. So three point five chugged along for about four years, and then in two thousand seven, they made what they might now regard as a mistake. What I thought was a good move. They announced, hey, we're going to do a fourth edition. And coming four years after 3.5, people were cranky, shall that we say. Was, that was the major cash grab objection right there. I and would say fun. that fourth edition was easily the most controversial release that's ever happened. For oh, without wizards. a doubt. But they did it. And in 2008, it launched. And about this time, until then, Hazo had been doing the Dungeons and Dragons magazine, Dungeons and Dragon magazine for Wizards. They lost that license and started releasing something they called Pathfinder. And then eventually, about that time that fourth edition hit, they announced, hey, we're going to do Pathfinder. We're going to take the SRD and just kind of update it a bit more. And they functionally made what was 3.75. And a lot of fans jumped ship from D&D to Pathfinder. And to give Pezo their due, they listened to their fans, and they've done a lot of really great stuff. It was definitely a refuge for people who still like the 3.5e design, especially since 4th edition was a pretty radical shift. Well, there was still a third community who kept the 3.5 rules because they had them and liked them and didn't want to uh, to learn anything new at that point. Right, well, and I suspect for several years afterward, 3.5e still had supplements being produced for it by third-party publishers. Yeah, absolutely. There was still a huge demand for 3.5 material at the time. So in my opinion, 4E really brought the game back to its wargaming roots. It fully acknowledged that most people were playing with miniatures in a grid and said, well, why don't we take advantage of that? It also very heavily continued the codification of classes. Now everybody had used the same numbers. Defenses all scaled about the same. Everybody had the same power structure, and though the power structures were different, they were all in the same advancement. It just, your class determined what your role was, and it also determined a couple other things. It's still hotly contested to this day. I personally really liked it. I thought it was great at what it did, and I still personally believe if they would have not called it Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition, 
but Chainmail Second Edition, it would still be played and very popular today. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, they did what they did, and we're still dealing with the fallout. Right. <laughs> and I would kind of argue this is when the edition wine really started in earnest. A lot of people got really invested in their. Uh, well, I'd say lot of- there was a pretty good fight between 3E and 3.5E. And another good one between 2E and 3E, to be honest. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It's just it was a lot less vocal because when it switched over, the internet wasn't nearly as... Precisely. That was the big yep. change between that edition change and 3.5 to 4 was the ability of people to go to a forum and just rant. Actually, yeah, hell, late in college, I remember all the arguments when 3rd edition was first coming out. Like, half of the groups I was in wanted to stick with 2E. Anyway, 4E trend the lawn, got a lot of supplements... Has still has a pretty devoted fan base. Then in around 2013, they announced they are working on fifth edition, which was how long was that? Five years? Yeah. So we're yeah. we're pretty much on to every five-year cash grab. The people who <laughs> don't trust the corporate are still not trusting the corporate. I personally don't think they're all cash grabs, but anyway, they announced the fifth edition. They opened it up as an actual public beta playtest. And there was Quite a bit of feedback. Uh, I still think some of their older designs were better. But anyway, in 2014, 5th edition came out, and we're still on 5th edition. And I think, unlike before, we're not going to see a new edition next year. They've been releasing supplements so slowly that I think they're going to stretch it out to at least 10. Well, that's probably not a bad thing, because you really need to get an opportunity to really play the system and see how things integrate before you can declare a victory on it. Not having that public playtest probably hurt third edition to some degree because you ended up with really weird things in, say, rogues that needed to be fixed to balance things out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. As a third edition rogue playing in the first campaign, ganked three drow priestesses in one shot from behind in three consecutive rounds. Yeah. Whereas 35 to, to sneak, they couldn't see me. So I sneak attack every round. Whereas in my first third edition character, a bard, I was useful. I'm sort not of. remotely surprised that you played a bard. I love bards. They're my favorite class. Was it a gnomish bard? No, it was a half elf. Okay. I, I I've agree. always loved half elves. Even though Even in third the, edition they got the shaft. Oh yeah. They were like less good humans. So yeah, that's kind of the brief overview of the history. There are plenty of places to learn more. Heck, you can even just go to Wikipedia and they've got a pretty good overview. Kind of, as we're closest up to, we should really talk about all the spinoffs. If D&D is the trunk, there are leaves and branches of plenty. Yeah. What edition? Uh, yeah, you've got Pathfinder is obviously the most famous. There's also now Starfinder, which, you know, hey, you got your Star Trek in my D&D. That's pretty cool. If you liked 4th edition, you actually have 13th Age, which kind of continue building on what 4th edition did. Oh yeah, uh, Star Wars Saga edition. Star Wars Saga, that's right. The mm-hmm. Star Wars was built on the D&D system as well. You also have, if you like the old school stuff, stuff like Castles and Crusades. And then you have the spiritual successors, which are like Dungeon World, which is basically, I want to play D&D, but I don't want to use the D&D system. So yeah, even in the D&D headspace... Headspace, yeah. In the D&D play space, there's tons of options. So, so Ruben, which you know, edition do I use? 
Well, thank you for that segue, Eric. My best advice, go out and start playing some. All the PDFs at this point are readily available on Dungeon Masters Guild and elsewhere. You can get the rules legally. You can try them out. Ideally, try them out with somebody who's run that edition quite a while before. Uh, You might find you really like one of the older editions. But in general, if you like to keep things simple and you kind of like the old school stuff, look at the older editions. I'm talking first and second. Nothing wrong with still playing it. There's tons of supplements. The game works still perfectly fine. The second editions were pretty much house rules on the original edition. So, Yeah. If you like all your little fiddly bits and you really like to spend hours and hours building the character and really like to mash as many weird stuff together as you can, 3.5 or Pathfinder, that's going to be your jam. It's super crunchy. There's kind of complex rules for everything. If you really like your tactical wargaming, or you really like clearly defined roles and that everybody is on an even playing field and everybody has a chance to shine in certain situations, try 4th edition, especially if you like maps and miniatures. And if you want to play the popular thing, if you want a lot of players, try 5th. I will note, in every edition, the grappling rules suck. Oh, it's a given. It's a truism of all RPGs. There will never be good grappling rules. It's hard to model. And if you did model it well... It would be hard to run. Mm-hmm. That'd be so crunchy. <laughs> crunch beyond from belief. a play by post perspective. Crunch equals slow, and slow equals bad. So we got to be careful about how much crunch we get in our play by post. Right. As Just Chibi as side, Amy says, Greco Roman the RPG. RPG. <laughs> uh, what you guys there are worldwide wrestling RPGs out there that are so you know it can be done. Yep. Out of curiosity, what do you guys think the best edition is for grappling which had the best rules i personally like the simplicity of the 2e rule you had a couple of d20 tables and that's what you were rolling against and that was it i think we were missing a part where you said back in my day waved a cane yelled you kids get off my lawn oh uh, no, <laughs> yeah yeah there were still internets back in that day oh yeah no, they were they made beep 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 Oh, God, the modems. I do not miss dial-up. It was interesting, though. I completely forgot when 4th edition came out. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. Well, no, it was a while back because Mythweavers was two years old at that point. Yeah, I remember some of my first Mythweavers games were 4E games. Yep. Eric and I were fresh baby moderators at the time. I think I was a little bit from becoming a mod, but not much. So you have all these different systems and just D&D overall. What are some of its strengths? Why do you go to this system when there are so many other choices out there? Well, hey, you said at the beginning, everyone knows what Dungeons and Dragons are. If you say, hey, I want to role play some Dungeons and Dragons, chances are there's going to be someone within shouting distance who will be like, I'm down with that. I'm going to join you for your Dungeons and Dragons. Especially yep. as opposed to some of the less common systems, especially if you're playing around a table as opposed to online. Right. It's, yeah. Odds are people are not going to look at a 13 age game and say, oh, that's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition. Yeah, I can be down with that. Whereas if you bring to the table something like, I don't know, Blades in the Dark, you're going to be met with a lot of blank stares. Mm-hmm. So Blades popularity is. Well, so yeah, just, just, just from a, a, a perspective right now to look at the 
games that are being advertised. There are 12 Pathfinder games, four fifth edition games, three 3.5 edition games. And the next highest one is Misk. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you guys if somebody could pull up how many actual D and D games we have going. It's hundreds. That is I actually wonder what it is just by raw percentage. I think it's over 30%. Yes. There are still games, 3.5 E games going on from when the site was opened in 2006. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what we're saying, player DM, you're going to have tons of choices, both in players and in games and in, well, settings. We've talked about the uh, difficulty choosing players in a Dungeons and Dragons game when you get 40 applications for five slots. Oh, yeah. And that's just going to continue to happen. Another thing I personally really like is, yeah, Chini, we actually should do the setting sequel here, but there's one other thing I want to go into first. Niche protection. Because D&D is a class-based system, you know I'm good at this, and my buddy Bob the Fighter is good at that, and you know you're always going to have a chance to shine at the thing you do best. I actually think that's really nice. But more than that, oh, the settings. More than any other game, there are so many different published settings that you can choose from. And since we all like D&D, we're going to actually go and do a few of them. Up on my wall back here is my very favorite. That's Ravenloft, the campaign setting, second edition. Oh, that's what that is. It's Ravenloft. Yeah. That's Strahd there. Uh, Strahd. Brooding over the full moon and his lost love. Yeah, it's pretty tiny. You know, I'm actually playing in a Ravenloft game, a 5e Ravenloft game with my tabletop group. It's been pretty fun. One of my personal, personal favorites is an older setting, Planescape. Behold, my shiny box set full of a bunch of other supplements. Still have all the original maps. Planescape was, hey, let's run around in this weird, vaguely Victorian London kind of center of the universe city controlled by the Lady of Pain, which is just an avatar of don't screw with her. Yes, you didn't have to bleep that, Nathan. It's amazing. And it uses a lot of slang from like old Victorian London. It's the one setting where you can have a party that's like a tiefling, a modron, a goat centaur, and a clueless prime who just wandered in because, you know, there's doors from everywhere into Sigil. Hippos. Hippos with guns. Yes, actually, Hippos with Guns was uh, not so much Planescape as it was Spelljammer. That's true, too. Spelljammer. Got to to get them. uh, Pirates of the Astral Sea. It's like sort of you got my space in D&D, but it's all magic space. Another of my personal, personal favorites, Eberron. Hey, you got your high technology in my D&D. Yep. (laughs) Mine's even signed. So is my Sharn book. I personally really love Eberron. And it's less you got your tech in my D&D and more that, well, if magic's been around this long, why haven't I actually studied it like a science and then started applying mm-hmm. scientific principles to magic? So, hey, there's this general repose spell. What happens if we put it in the barrel to store food in? Oh, look, our food doesn't rot. Hey, prestidigitation can actually cool things down. What if we put that in a box? Suddenly you have a refrigerator. It also has the great dragon marked houses, which the common races can manifest basically magical birthmarks that let them cast certain spells and rituals. And 13 great houses, now 12, have organized uh, huge guilds and they all control 
a part of the economy. It also has Warforged, which are sentient golems. You have Changelings, which are like part doppelgangers. It's two-fisted pulp action on the lightning rails, shooting down the Emerald Claw because they're the Nazi stand-ins. It's got some uh, steampunk in there too, doesn't it? No, not really. It's Magipunk. Okay. It's Magipunk. Everyone is one of those settings I've always wanted to play and just keep not getting a chance. Oh, man. Maybe I should do a... Weeby Myths does tabletop sit in Eberron. We haven't finished the last D&D game. With so you. when I transferred my computer and stuff, uh, I forgot to save my campaign for Weeby Myths with all the characters. We got to start over. We have yeah. multiple cloud options. Why wasn't it on the cloud? Look. We're going down toward the low technology option where you have dark sun. Oh yeah. I ran about deserts, low resources, post-apocalyptic arcade magic kills the world. Barbarian. Really careful. Yeah, it's Mad Max that it's uh what is it, Vallejo? It's like every Vallejo painting ever as a campaign setting. Oh man, it was amazing. I loved it. I ran a 4E Dark Sun game that lasted for years. It was awesome. And I combined it with Shadows of the Colossus. So the battle maps I built were actually 3D cardboard battle maps of the big colossi. And all everybody's miniatures had pins so they could stick them in the foam core, climb up the uh, monster. It was amazing. Someone had time on his hands. Yep, someone did. And then you have one of the kind of granddaddy settings that I'm sure a lot of us know. Forgotten Realms! Oh, yeah. Which... Run around. Try not to get stomped on by any of the gigantic heroes that are also running around. Somewhat, but Forgotten Realms is also one of the oldest settings, so it's highly, highly detailed. You can find information on every little bit of the setting and the history. And yes, beware of the Minster because he's a creepy pervert wizard. When did Forgotten Realms become the pretty much the standard D&D system or D&D setting? Was that for uh, 5e? Actually, no. So 4th edition actually did something really cool that I liked. They did what they called the Nintir Veil, which was this roughly sketched sort of campaign setting with not a lot of information, but they gave the DM just enough information to get started. And that was kind of their default setting for 4E. And I think it was fantastic. And I loved 4th edition, the Nintir Veil. I still use the Nintir Veil for 5B games. I'm still very bitter. Because I grew up, Forgotten Realms is how I started back in 3rd edition. I'm still so cranky, though, that when 4th edition happened and they updated Forgotten Realms, they destroyed Lantan. Oh, I think Lantan's back with 5e. Nope. Oh, it's not? Nope. It is gone. That stayed. You know what? I, I just, I guess I never read up on the meta plot, and I just kind of kept Lantan around because I liked it. No, For anyone you. not familiar with Lantan, Lantan is some writers, it's got to have been something that a writer slipped in and went, I wonder if they'll notice. Because Lantan is blatant steampunk slid oh, yeah. into Forgotten Realms. Wow, that's all gnomes. The gnomes run Lantan. They have yeah, like firearms. Gnomes and humans. And oh, it's it struggles with the rest of the setting so hard, but it's so fun to use to torture a game master. Are you kidding? I actually ran a game set in Lantern. Well, you would, but 
<laughs> the challenge to Forgotten Realms is exactly what you guys just said. It's so detailed. There's so much to know. You almost have the Star Trek effect. Oh, yeah. By which I yeah. mean, you can't run this game because you don't know the history and all of the canon all the way down to the NAS behind on every episode back to Shatner. And if you've got the players that are insanely well-versed in it, it's going to be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's strength is its weakness. A little less detailed is birthright. Hey, Behold. if you want to do something about heraldry and about chivalry and about the whole medieval thing, birthright is your jam. Especially if you like dynasties and legacy heroes and stuff like that. It's all it's, about the bloodlines, baby. It's, it's uh-huh. like almost going towards Legend of the Five Rings in terms of that level of fidelity to the the clan, the caste, the the what have you of the, the, the medieval organization. And, you know, if you, uh, well, there's also the granddaddy of them all, Greyhawk. Oh, yeah. Which was the default mm-hmm. setting for 3.5e and yeah. 3 Greyhawk. And, and default what I grew up on on second edition and basic. Me too. And I, every once in a while, I'll still name one of my um, hawk familiars, Foltus, one First of the old. Character. No, uh, he was one of the old Greyhawk gods. He was uh, like the lawful good god of like bling and killing undead. I just like the name. Did he also have Mistara? Old setting, but it's fairly kitchen sinky. Well, when you wanted to bring in all of these other characters into one game, you had to have something that could kind of relate them all. That's kind of what Mistara ended up being. Yep. And there's plenty of other settings that we haven't covered, but those are kind of the big ones. I mean, Nathan's Pond is another one. Once he finally gets it all written down. It's an okay setting, you know, aside from the lack of gnomes. Yeah, no gnomes. What? No gnomes? Boo! Nathan hates gnomes. I will make you love gnomes. In fact, you play in my next game, you must play a gnome. Oh, no, no, no. We talked about gnomes, and my mind went to Kender, and we haven't even touched Dragonlance. Oh, yes, we did miss Dragonlance. There's a reason I admitted that. Okay, we'll talk controversy later. Kicking and streaming (laughs) into Dragonlance. The setting was fine. It's pretty well detailed. Like the Forgotten Realms, is fairly well detailed. The problem you also run into is there were a lot of novels set in Dragonlance, and so you tend to have a lot of players who want to pattern a character after the novels. That in it had Kinder, who should die in a fire and never be mentioned again. That's where I went. That's how I ended up at Dragonlance was you mentioned gnomes, then I went to Kinder. Yep. And they're nothing alike. You just no. perch the good name of gnomes with just ugh, Kinder. Ugh. Yeah. You want to talk about characters who you, you can kill in your party and, and player versus player fights. It's when the Kinder shows up and starts taking your stuff. Yep, and the rest of the party will even cheer you. The Paolo will probably even go, eh, it was justified. <laughs> <laughs> the only There's time I'd love Paolo to kill another that. character in cold blood and not fall. <laughs> yeah, they were. So to go along with all of these wonderful campaign settings, you have adventures. Adventures aplenty. Those of us old enough will call them modules. Keep on the yeah. ones. Yep, everything from like Village of Hamlet all the way up through Storm King's Thunder. Every edition has plenty of published campaign cities. It also has plenty of published campaign paths and adventures and modules. Especially if you're new to running and you feel like you need a little more guidance and help creating a story and other things, modules are a great way to get started. Even And if you're strapped for time, 
I mean, yeah, I, for time I admit two. that I yeah. pulled those out when I need to do something and I just don't have time to write my new chapter on whatever campaign setting I've built for myself. Yeah. I well, want there's, to run a game, don't have time to write something. Yeah. And frankly, there's zero shame or anything wrong with running from a published setting or a published adventure. It's, yeah. I do it all the time. I think it's pretty valid. And for me, the fun of adventures and adventure paths is putting your own spin on things because you're not going to run it straight out of the book. But yeah, if you are pressed for time and you just don't want to do all the prep, it's almost all done for you. And it's up to you to add on the setting dressing. And it's a great way to get into DMing. And we haven't talked about that a lot. We've talked about a lot about tools that we can give DMs and how to do things, how to play and how to work together. But to get into the DMing part can be a little intimidating. And if you can take something that's already built and that generally probably already works reasonably well, that gives you a good leg up, a way to comfortably ease into the job that you have. Especially Uh, a balanced adventure. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, mean, I wouldn't say, let's go GM Tomb of Horrors. Well, right. not a good no, first no. time. Well, uh, unless you're running Tomb of Annihilation, in which they revamped Tomb of Horrors, and this something much more cool and survivable. Okay, yeah. Well, that is the one thing you have to be careful about in, like, second edition, is a lot of the old modules were what's called tourney modules. They were designed to be run competitively between other groups of D&D players, and whoever finished first are finished the most in the allotted time was the winner. And so they're all horrifically brutal. Tuba Horrors is kind of the best example of that. I touched this. You're dead! <laughs> I stick my hole in that. Well, Sphere of Annihilation. I mean, it is good training. Paranoia training, though, which can be bad from a play-by-post perspective, because if everyone's paranoid, nothing's going anywhere. Correct. I mean, obviously D&D has a lot of strengths. What are some of our weaknesses? Inflexibility. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hands down. D&D was wrapped around. It's a high fantasy, high magic setting. What you see is what you get. And I mean, there have even been, even when Wizards tries to adapt things to a different setting, D20 Modern being a fantastic example when they Ooh. took pretty much the third edition rule set and hey, we're going to make a modern campaign environment. And then they tried to give you high fantasy, modern, high magic, low magic, espionage with no magic. It it was never really well suited for complete adaption to something outside of a high magic fantasy environment. I can't count the number of threads I've seen in gaming discussion which center around how do I tailor D&D so I can play a low magic setting? And the best answer that keeps coming up is don't play D&D. Here's all these other great systems that you can use that will be great for low magic. But if you try and shoehorn D&D in, the wizard's going to win eventually. Maybe not first level, maybe not second level, but during somewhere around fifth or sixth level, the wizard takes over the game. Which is another big problem. And a lot of additions, not all of them, but most of them, it's Wizard Uba Ales. Just eventually, wizards are all other spellcasters. If you've ever seen COD Zilla, that stands for Cleric or Druid Zilla, because in 3.5e especially, 
once you got a high enough level, the cleric could fight better than the fighter and still had ninth level spells. And the druid's animal companion was pretty much as good as the fighter. So their class feature was good as another character. Some editions, this is more pronounced. It's eventually your spellcasters are going to trample all over your other characters. As Tiffany Corda points out, the old linear wizard, or yeah, linear wizard. No, uh, <laughs> linear warrior, quadratic wizard. I mean, the early editions kind of dealt with that by changing the progression points for the different classes. Right. It was Wizards, harder to is- advance as a wizard. What this usually ended up being is the wizard tried not to die until they had ventured enough to get fireball, at which point yeah. they were useful. And at which point the fighter was a good four or five levels higher, had a bunch of followers, probably a keep, and the rogue was even higher level than that. You know, of all the editions, I think fourth edition balanced this the best. because of that. But it basically turned everybody into a wizard, sort of. But yeah, if that's one of your big concerns, fourth edition might be a good solution. I think fifth edition does a pretty darn good job, too. By introducing the concentration mechanic, now you can't have like the cleric and druid buff themselves to high heaven and still take over the fighter's job. But even in like 3.5, there are ways you can mitigate this. And mitigating this is largely up to the social contracts. If your spellcasters agree that instead of buffing themselves, hey, let's make the fighter and the rogue super awesome so they can compete with us and spend some of our spells on them, it will definitely mitigate the problem. Uh, There was also the entire E6 movement, which locked character progression at 6th level, which is right when the fighters get really good, and it's just when the wizards are finally getting kind of high enough to really contribute without giving them access to 4th level spells, which is when things start really breaking down. Artillery, artillery, everything dies. That's also kind of tied in with the five-minute workday, which is another problem with D&D. D&D requires a lot of very masterful handling from the DM as far as pacing adventures and making sure that your characters can't rest too often because then the spellcasters get a definite leg up on the guys who expect that the spellcasters are going to have to go over six or eight encounters. This is also where using a published adventure can usually help. But even then, you get dealing with the I can magically heal the fighter, or I can magically heal myself. Magically healing myself makes the most sense from a party effectiveness perspective. Yep. Or even worse, let's not even bother about spending my spells on healing, because I got a wand that'll do it for us. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a problem, something you have to keep your eye on. I think the newer editions do a better problem of addressing this problem than the older ones, but they're still definitely present. You also have analysis paralysis. So, much, so many options. <laughs> much more so pronounced with the older editions. I think 5e cuts down on this quite a lot. Well, well there's two types. time for more supplements. It's been four years, and there's like two or three player supplements. That's yeah, true. They got a little more reasonable. Yeah, well, they're pushing a lot more of the adventure paths than they are the player stuff, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Beyond the just character selection paralysis, which isn't so bad in play by post because you've got a lot of time between sessions, so you can talk it over. But in play paralysis, that could be a definite problem. Definitely beware springing traps early, especially if they don't find them. Because once you put in one trap, everything is trapped. And if everything is trapped, people get paranoid. 
a great example of that is for anyone that's ever watched the gamers movies, a bunch <laughs> of indie films going into D and D from the table side and then from the character perspective. And, you know, as a master thief, obviously I would know when to be wary. I crawl an inch at a time down the hall. Yeah. One trap and every single person let's crawl. Well, some parties do the inch at a time. Look for the trap. Other parties go. Who has the most hit points? Go. And other parties just try and tunnel through the walls. <laughs> Adamantium yeah. hammers anybody. Yeah. Yep. Well, and if you're a high enough level party, you just have the wizard scry the area you get to and have him teleport you directly. Scry and die. Scry and die. Generally, as a DM, my my personal way to combat this, especially in regards to traps is 4th and 5th edition introduced passive perception. I generally, when an area is trapped, I try to, usually in private text, tell the person with the highest perception who's up first, you notice something weird. Like, hey, you notice a couple weird little holes in the wall up ahead. Don't tell them it's trapped, but give them the visual clue. Something's off. Yeah. Actually, you know what? The best time I ever had with traps was one party. My buddy and I was running the game. Our party was, I was like a no mystic theirs. We had a barbarian, we had a fighter, and we had a cleric. We had nobody with trap finding. And first thing we always did when we got to a dungeon, go outside, find the biggest tree we could, cut down a huge log, chop it to 10 foot wide, and do another 5 foot wide one. And we would roll the log down the hallway we also carried rocks and if we saw anything sort of like suspicious throw a rock at it and then worst come to worst i would you know i had a lot of spell slots mystic theirge summon monster one go mr badger (laughs) splat i think some of the best times i've had is when the party doesn't have a rogue and they have to get creative and then uh dark myth battler points out you know if the saves are high enough they don't need perception Right. Yeah. But well, it's about on par with Sun the Barbarian down mm-hmm. the hall. Third right. edition evasion, baby. Bottom line is DM, play fair with your traps and only trap things that actually make sense. Sometimes those weird holes in the wall are hiding treasure. Yep. You know, my favorite thing to do in one of my campaigns, one of the first indoor dungeons they go to, I always hide a portable hole behind a painting. And then I'll put like some gold in the portable hole or something. It's a fun little thing. I've only about a third of my parties ever find it. Now I know what to look for when Ruben runs games again. Right. Yep. Back, when, back when we uh, restart. Oh, wait, we can't. No, we could. I still have the game set up. I just don't have the campaign. Or we could just play bubblegum next time. Yeah. All oh, bubblegum too. Are you volunteering to run? I don't have time. Wacka, wacka. We'll talk about that in a. In the free next section, the other thing I found that's a big problem with DD, especially in play by post, interruptible actions. Oh, oh god, but wait, we're, yeah, I we're talking five feet to the right, yeah, yeah, we're talking both on the turn and mostly out of turn is the big problems from opportunity attacks to interrupts, all this stuff. And because of the delayed nature of play by post, these are really hard to handle. The best way I've found to handle it is have players give you a trigger for their interrupt. Although now, I've actually admit, I've been leaning on Discord a lot more. And I have a channel for each of my games 
And yep. if there is an interrupt thing, I'll ping the player and say, hey, this is going to happen. Would you like to interrupt? Discord makes it a lot easier. But if not, have them give triggers. Yeah, Basically, adding Discord into things has helped a lot with communication. Not to say that out-of-character threads are useless, but just the rapid-fire nature of Discord helps. Yes. That's probably the biggest way you can mitigate it, is just use Discord. Yeah, but that's kind of getting out of the play-by-post mode. So, for those of us who can't Discord at work, yeah, I know. No, no. Troglodyte. Do you guys think we've covered things pretty well? Anything you want to add? Say so. Um, nothing what to add. I'm seeing if the Mythweavers channel for us. Speaking of spinoffs. Oh, yes, the d cartoon. I love that. I loaned my DVD set out, or I'd hold mine up, too. The best part about that was the the 30-page handbook that came along with it so that you could oh, run. Yeah, the adventure. It even had all the hit, uh, artifacts in it. Oh, yes. Stats for Vinger. Mm-hmm. Vinger, like a level 18 sorcerer or something. Something like that. Not or terribly s- powerful. Just enough s- to be dangerous. Or was he a sorcerer warlock? He might have been like a, sor- like a half-fiend sorcerer warlock. I don't think there was any warlock built in, but I'll let you know. I know you guys. Favorite thing about D&D for you? Archmage. Level 18. Oh. Sorcerer 13, Archmage 5. Oh, the old Archmage prestige class. Yep. Uh, Prestige classes. More options. More analysis paralysis. Shadow Demon was the the CR8 outsider. Yeah, which... Yeah. You know, I honestly, still to this day, I haven't played a massive amount of D&D. I've been in, I think, three campaigns. We can fix that. Nathan, yeah, you don't get to shake your head at me judgmentally when you're not even talking. I need to at least hear the judgment as well. <laughs> Judge him. Judge him, Nathan. And yes, Chibi Amy, seriously. I started with third edition back when I was 13 and wound up jumping over to some of the more modern systems, some of the sci-fi systems, all that, as I got further. But I've played D&D for over 30 years now. That's about right. I started GMing when I was 11, 12. I started GMing when I was, I think, 14, because, oh, everyone wants to play, but... Nobody wants to run. Yeah, I started with 11 or 12. I started with Shadowrun, not D&D, but I quickly moved to D&D. I guess really to be fair, I've I've barely played in a campaign. Wait, have I been played DD longer than Nate's been alive? Yeah, probably. Oh, <laughs> get off my lawn! The muteness is killing us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just waiting for the day one of you, Eric or Ruben whips a cane up into the video. <laughs> you know, I've been going to physical therapy. <laughs> oh, God, I've been looking at desk chairs with better lumbar back support. <laughs> oh, God, we're getting old. Yeah. Well, anyways, I think we covered this pretty well. Yeah. There's That's always so. more to say about D&D, but if you're looking for a hobby that most people can relate to within the role-playing context, kind of hard to go wrong with D&D. Give it a whirl. Ooh, I have a candidate for Game of the Week. Game of the Week? There is no Game of the Week this week, guys. 
just between time and Nate being sick, we didn't do one. In lieu of game of the week, I don't know. Favorite game you're running right now, uh, Eric? Favorite game I'm running right now? Dang, that's, uh, that's a hard one. But I think the one we're having the most fun in is the Stargate game because we're completely off the rails. We've gone and <laughs> tossed a flashbang at the cannon and uh, run from it. Something you're running has gone off the rails? <laughs> Never. Uh, what about you, Colin? Favorite game you're running right now? Well, I've only got two games. I'm still... My Planet Mercenary game is dragging badly. I think we can get that moving again. But uh, no, the Stars Without Number game, especially because I just added the Whitefire, Sarah Cock, and Call Me Fate. Nice. To make up for missing players. And they... So there are a few players that are friends outside of Mythweavers. Nice. So, you know, they're loyal. They stuck around, but you know, I had to fill some vacancies and I brought those three in and it's going to be interesting. Well, uh, my favorite game I'm running right now is probably still my Claremont Academy or my Claremont university game using the wearing the cape system, which is fate supers. I've kind of badly let it sit too long and I need to post, but it's still great. And I love all the characters. So yeah, no game of the week, but that's that. And now we're heading into the free-for-all. The free-for-all segment of the show is back again. In this segment of the show, we're going to open the floor for questions and answers, but we're also going to allow myself and my fellow casters to talk about anything we'd like. As always, this is going to be pretty unstructured, but it gives us the freedom to talk about things and still answer questions as they come in. Before we get started, we have the mandatory question. What's making us happy this week? Eric. What's making you happy this week? What's making me happy this week? Well, school year has started. Things have calmed down somewhat, and I've actually caught up with all my games for the first time in about three months. So that makes me happy because things are rolling forward again, and I really, really enjoy the gaming, especially with some of you guys when I get the opportunity. I really need to put that one off. (laughs) What about you, Colin? What's making you happy this week? I finally got my rifle back which is oh bad. yeah you showed me that a, pretty picture my uh favorite rifle has been getting a new high precision barrel put on it for four weeks and i finally got it back and it's nice pretty. what's the threat on that one and eight rifle Ooh, nice. or not one and eight one and ten so 308 one oh. and eight would be bad <laughs> <laughs> I dropped um, the link for anyone that wants to look at shiny things. As for like me, Dark Myth Battler. <laughs> as for me, I got my new computer all built and it's running like a boss. I'm streaming from it right now, along with my shiny new monitor. Which means I can see you guys a lot bigger on my new second monitor. Video is crisp and clear. It looks awesome. Yeah, you know you can see how messy everything else is. So that out of the way. He speaks. Nathan, what's making you happy this week? I have a thing. I'm getting married in like two weeks. It's no. terrifying, but it's exciting. Oh, boy. <laughs> Our boy has become a man. <laughs> Still no facial hair, but... Mm. I do what I can. Try to think if I have any good wedding tips for you. Relax. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to be okay. No one will yeah. remember. Yeah, um, everybody and- will be too drunk to remember. 
important notes, don't look my direction during the ceremony. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It Um, could be worse. Eric and Ruben could have been able to make it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, Sad Weaver's staff could have been able to make it. That would have been... Oh, that would have been special. The the signs would have been classic. (laughs) Yep. I would have had to see if I could get a girdle and squeeze into my wedding... <laughs> we did, well, we did a Renaissance wedding, so I had a full-on slash doublet. I remember oh, the pictures. Yeah, the um, yeah. Well, yeah. Congrats. Yeah, don't take it too seriously. <laughs> uh, don't lock your knees. Don't forget your vows. <laughs> don't split the crotch of your pants. I can tell you that one from uh, personal experience. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> uh, actually, I do have one good advice: wear boxer briefs the same color as your pants. Yes. Okay. And doesn't seem it, like an obvious thing, but it shows. Yeah, it does. <laughs> well, and if you do happen to split, if they're the same color, nobody's going to notice. <laughs> Hopefully. Notice. Walk slowly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, seriously, walk slowly. Stuff, important stuff for the reception. Oh, dear. Don't split up at any point. When you do the walk around to talk to people, you and Mrs. Nate should not split up. Okay. Uh, Unless you up. want me to help you with cardio all night, because I watch for that and start hitting the glass. <laughs> <laughs> also, you should never pay for any of your drinks. Nope, we have an open bar, so. Ah, uh, see, we didn't have an open bar. Yeah, I and think that's Nathan about it. put me at a table with his friends. I'm not sure that's a safe idea. Hmm. Oh, and I told my gaming like me, buddies. Keep a roll. Grandmother. Keep a roll of uh, Tums in your pocket. Okay, I could see that. Right, oh yeah, there's definitely a magical amount of the amount to drink. Hydrate. Yeah, yes. drink that water. It is a long day. I'm kind of not looking forward to how long it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, actually, um, we you won't process how long it is for you. It's going to be a whirlwind, and you won't remember most of it. Yeah, right. I still don't remember most of my wedding. Drink <laughs> water the day before. Drink water yeah. the day before and hydrate the day of. Yep. I didn't quite do the face plant, but I definitely was woozy in the receiving line after the ceremony. <laughs> See, we were smart. We had our wedding and we had a very small reception afterward, but our real reception we had the next day. That's smart. Oh, that was so much better. Chimi wants to uh, make sure you know, Nathan, don't worry about him showing up. Yeah, I mean, don't worry about it. He's. If he if he shows up, it's not a problem. We're under head you hear count. That, so. He says he can come. It's not a problem. It might be a problem. Comment. <laughs> it, so I should point out we are open to questions from the rest of y'all. If you've got questions, now's the time we answer them. Oh hey, yeah, that's right. We're in the free for all. Yeah. We're good at tangents. Sometimes it's easy to forget where we're at. Yeah, know, I'm like trying forgetting to... that we're in the part where we're allowed to tangent. Yeah, well, I'm trying to keep us on track. <laughs> Any questions at all? Any DD questions? Chibi Amy, I think we finished the Nathan advice segment. He's probably sick of that segment by now because he keeps getting hit with advice. Right now, I'm just trying to not pass out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Dyquil you before you're recorded. Dyquil. Yeah, well, if he wanted to be wired for the next four hours. <laughs> Chimi, there will be at least two types of cheese at the wedding. Oh, Which ones? You um, know he's going to ask. One 
I forget the name of it, but it's in the pasta. And then there's another one on the chicken. Hmm, interesting. I'm trying to remember, did we choose our dinner when we RSVP? So, fun story about that. Boy. You don't get a choice. It's a buffet. But Ooh. we put it on the... Not a bad plan. We put it on the RSVP thing because we wanted to be nosy and find out what people would eat. <laughs> you don't want to have massive amounts of leftovers of that vegetarian dish that you were, weren't Way. really sure you liked, but you had to have a vegetarian dish. Way so. more Machiavellian than I expected. <laughs> we actually don't have a vegetarian dish, unless you count carrots. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> so, Dark Myth Battle actually asked, uh, what's the best type of brush for marine paints? I actually really like Corona brushes. They have a Europa Badger style that I quite like that I will put the link in for. It depends. Uh, what... <laughs> I just love how it's a complete off-the-wall, and you've got instant advice, and here's a link immediately. Oh, you're paying He's a magician. So, yeah, uh, I would go with like a three-inch or a two-inch badger style for oars. You want long, even strokes. Uh, With oars, actually, if you have a big drop cloth, uh, one thing I've actually done is laid the oar on a drop cloth and just hit it with a sprayer. That is... Way too far outside my realm of experience. Eh, grew up on a river and not far from the ocean. I had a drift boat before I could legally drive. Let's see, Chibi Amy asks, did we try any of the living campaigns? That is an excellent question. Oh, uh, like living Greyhawk, stuff like that? I, was just, I don't even know what that means, so for me, it's a definite no, I haven't. It was so, the first type of organized play, really. That was right, from uh, run, run through the RPGA. When did that start? Was it 3.5 or was it 4th edition? 3E. Oh. Yeah, 3rd edition was really the, the intro to it. Really, that the, the whole thing developed around the fact that we had this internet thing where we could communicate information in near real time. Uh, so, technology. I actually used to run pretty heavily for Living Eberron. Somewhere, I still actually have the the action point cards that would hand out to GMs and, play- and players. There were these cool cards you could bring to the campaign and it would give you permission to do stuff and hmm. give you extra cool actions you could do. I quite liked the living campaigns. Um, the closest I've ever done is I played in a Adventurer's League game once. Yeah, the, the newest thing of living campaigns is Adventurer's League. Back when JitCon SoCal used to be a thing, I would go every year and just... If you ran enough games, they'd pay for your plane ticket and give you a room to stay in. I mean, it only really gave you one slot to actually walk around the con, but it was a good deal. Oh, yeah, I went to SoCal. I went to SoCal for years. I loved Gen Con SoCal. It was a eh, one if you ever sat at one of my tables. Utah group. Eh, I was kind of singular. God, I loved SoCal. God, I remember one year I took my buddy along, and we got there, and we're like, oh, we need to get some, uh, we need to get some liquor. So we asked, and we found the cheapest hotel we could find. And I'm talking like 70 bucks a night. We get there. There's like bars on the windows. <laughs> like, oh, man. So we asked the person, asked like, hey, where's the liquor She's like, oh, it's only a couple blocks up. And a thing to know about Portland is we have some of the shortest blocks in the U.S. Our blocks are like 300 to 450 feet. We didn't realize SoCal blocks are like half a mile. Yo. We're like... Oh, 
two or three blocks. We could walk that easy. So we're, it's the middle of fuck. It's the middle of the night in SoCal. We're walking down like, Oh God, where is it? Okay. <laughs> one more block. It can't be that far. And like half of my, like finally we see the liquor. So I'm like, Oh, thank God. Go. We get our liquor, we walk out. And then we realize, Oh God, oh, it's summer in California. It's hot. We're two broken down old men and we got to walk like a mile and a half back to the hotel. That was an adventure. Unfortunately, the living campaigns basically came out around the time when I was young, married, and I had other things to pay attention to. So, <laughs> oh, I you was know. young and married too, but my wife games. So advantage. Mine does too, but she was also a graduate student at the time. So she was pretty much locked down to her laboratory. Yeah, for my money, SoCal was like one of the best cons. Kind of all the fun, all the fun of like the regular Gen Con, but way smaller, but still big enough to have a really good vendor hall and a lot of games going. I was super bummed when they canceled it. I still would love one day to be able to get the Mythweaver staff all together at Gen Con Indy, though. Oh God, maybe next that year would be a blast. That Not next totally year. Wish- Not, Not for next me, year. At least. I've been trying to plan to get to Indy. Although, you know, it would be better for us. Dragon Con or even Origins. Actually, Origins. We should totally hit Origins. Chibi Amy, we do not need Weaving Myths the panel. We will probably be drunk through most of any con we go to as a group. Speak for yourself. (laughs) I'm there to record it for posterity's sake. You might record, but you'll be wobbling while you do it. Frankly, I'd love to get you guys out to Fear the Con. Huh? Oh, Fear the Con. It's a tiny little con in St. Louis. There's another podcast, Fear the Boot, which has been a really long-running RPG podcast. Yep. We even joined their podcaster panel and stuff like that. It's a, I love that con. It's a great con. Oh, yeah. I dream of starting a really good con in Portland because we have a really nice convention center. That'd be awesome. Ruby. There's no way I want to do all the work for it. Oh, and for anyone interesting, interested, if you're interested in the cap I'm wearing, my sister makes them. My sister makes caps. I forgot about that. Among other things. Oh, favorite hot sauce? My hot sauce. I make my own hot sauces. I'm not like a connoisseur of hot sauces, so I don't know. We make chilies in adobo. Mm -hmm. Oh! I would love some of those if you can them. Oh, we do? Ooh. Jars upon jars. This year has been kind of hard. It's been so rainy here. The peppers are not yet fully ripe. They're not even close. We've just harvested a good chunk of our peppers. It's still, for September, for mid-September, it's still really hot here. We hit 90 today. Yeah, my problem is I really can't do much in the way of vinegar due to an allergy. So I make all mine, and I make mine with uh, lime. I can't seem to get it to stop raining here. <laughs> yeah. If it's not 90, it's raining. Yep. But for bot uh, hot sauces, I really like Doc Ford's hot sauces. They do like an amazing chipotle, and their Colombian gold is just awesome on eggs. Key with hot sauce to me is that it's got to have flavor. It can't just be like, burn oh, your yeah. mouth out hot sauce. No, no if it's just point. heat. There's no point in eating it. It yeah. has to have some flavor. Actually, the thing I've been experimenting with now is I've been trying to do fermented hot sauce. Ooh. Like lacto-fermented. How do I feel about that? 
oh, they're great. It's like uh, soy sauce and hot sauce had a baby. So it's like hot sauce with umami. Wait, Chibi Amy, why is Tabasco a go-to for so many people? Because they just want the heat. It's like mm. the Dungeons and Dragons of hot sauces. Everyone knows it. <laughs> you know, the other one that makes me cringe is everyone that thinks Frank's Red Hot. Oh, God, I hate Frank's real Red hot. hot sauce. It's not. Everyone in my engineering department at work, oh, I love Frank's Red Hot. You know, it's the perfect heat. And I'm sitting there going, what heat? Yeah, there's, it's, there's no heat. Uh, you know what I really do like is Gojang, which is the Korean pepper sauce. Not sure I've tried surprise me given your interest in fermented hot sauces. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, man. Dude, uh, lacto-fermented pickles, amazing. Because mm. all I need is water and salt and your herbs and spices. Let them ferment for like a week or two. Then you got to drain them and put them back in. Yep. Oh, Chimi Cholula. Cholula's good. Cholula is a good hot sauce. Well, Cholula, uh, Tapatio. I do like a really good Tapatio. Oh, let me see if I can find it. There's actually a local dude here who does hot sauces, and they're just fantastic. No, just to keep my Pacific Northwest cred. Yeah, those guys. Just like amazing, really flavorful hot sauces. Like I met the I met the owner and head maker at like a wine tasting like several years back and he had a couple of bottles. I'm like, oh I bought his actual shelf model of his Chipotle. Oh, out of this world. So I would like to take just a moment to remind everyone that this episode of Weaving Myths is made possible by our Patreon. For those of you that don't know, Patreon is a method for content creators to gain income through the support of those who consume the content. Our Patreon offers a multitude of ways to support the show, and you'll get awesome rewards for signing up under any of the tiers. Contributions start at as little as $1 per month, so it doesn't take much at all to show your support. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com mythweavers. All contributions to the Patreon go to paying for online hosting of the show and supporting Mythweavers, the site we are honored to be a part of. The new video format you're seeing now uh, was made possible by our incredibly generous patrons. It's not really a new format anymore, but, you know, it's still made possible by our patrons. It's only um, four episodes old. <laughs> that's true. It's still new. Yeah, I guess. One last thing I should note, Weaving Myths is, always has been, and will always continue to be free, and signing up for the Patreon is not required. Full episodes are always uploaded to SoundCloud within two days of the episode being recorded, and all normal episodes will always be available for download or streaming free of charge. Before we go out of the show, um, we've got a couple shout-outs to our higher-subscribed patrons. So John D., Amanda C., Michael B., Chimmy C. Who changed that? Somebody changed it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody changed it to Jimmy. Claire F., Amy G., Christopher M., thank you all so much for your support. It's incredibly appreciated. Uh, we love you guys. So thank you everyone so much for joining us today. It's been a blast, and we appreciate all of the comments and questions from the text chat. As always, I'm Nathan. Even though I wasn't really in this episode, I'm still here. Hi. And I've been joined by the magnificent Colin. Evening, folks. It's been fun as always. Ruben is not on the screen. But he's still here. Later, guys. <laughs> And Eric. So long, and thanks for all the game. Thanks for listening, and keep on weaving those myths.